Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. And I have learned that there are troubles of more than one kind. Some come from ahead and some come from behind. Dr. Seuss. If the past three years have taught us anything, it is an unanticipated crisis may present itself at any moment. How do we prepare for the unexpected? That's the question we will address next on Sound Practice. My guest is Amy Greeter, MPH, F-A-C-H-E. She is a principal at Sullivan Cotter, which is based in North Carolina. Ms. Greeter has worked with some of the largest healthcare systems and physician practices in the United States. She's also co-author of the new book, Effective Crisis Leadership in Healthcare, published by AAPL. Amy, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I couldn't be more delighted to be here. Excited to talk about your new book. Maybe you can tell me what inspired you to write this book. Well, I think it's a culmination of many things. However, I have to confess that coming into a global pandemic really lights a fire under a person to write a book on crisis leadership. So we had talked about writing a book on this topic and specifically the impacts for the healthcare industry. And that was really spurred on by the start of the COVID pandemic. If you take yourself back to the March 2020 timeframe, think about what that looked like and how many questions we had and how few answers we had. You can see how it was an absolute recipe for crisis. And so I felt particularly called to draft some correspondence that would help people when they found themselves in situations like these, both then and into the future. And my intent was to provide a practical type playbook with actionable solutions that people could follow so that they knew what to do when they were in this situation. So that's the intent of the book. It isn't meant to be a massive uh, 500 page book, but rather more of a manual to how do you approach something like this? How do you handle it? What do you need to be thinking about when you find yourself preparing for in the midst of or coming down from the eventual crisis that you will face? Tell me, what, what's the target audience of your book look like? Well, I would hope that everybody in the world would want to read this book, <laughs> but that may be uh, overselling a little bit. I will You've got say to aim this. high, though, right? <laughs> so why not? That's right. We'll see how many of these we can put into the hands of interested readers. But the target audience, I would say, is really for those that are operating within the healthcare industry. So it's meant for physician leaders. It's meant for health system administrative leaders. It's meant for those that are running independent medical practices. Everyone who operates inside the industry and yet has the ability to both be impacted by and have an impact on crises as they're developing is a great person who I think would benefit from reading this. Why don't we talk a little bit about crises in healthcare that your, your book addresses or could act as a, as a manual for? Because I'm not sure that your definition and my definition of a 
crises in, in healthcare match up. Can you give me some examples? Absolutely. And I hope that people are sitting down as they're uh, <laughs> listening to this because <laughs> oh, I that don't... sounds like fair warning. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so if you if you're not take this, you know, three seconds to get yourself somewhere safe. Um, but I give that caveat just because the range of potential crises within healthcare is pretty massive. I mean, there is a broad spectrum of things that can impact us as healthcare providers or as healthcare leaders. And that's things like financial crises, you know, not being solvent as an operating entity, not having dollars to be able to pay your next payroll. That's a crisis. It can be things like reputational crises. So we have all seen a bad outcome that has made the front page news and it creates some really unsavory attention towards an organization. You know, I, I recognize there is an organization in the Southeast where I was based that of all things was found to be washing their joints for their orthopedic joint replacements in elevator lubricant. And that made, you know, the national news. Well, that's a pretty clear indication of a reputational crisis because I don't think people are going to be inclined to get their uh, total hip replacement at that organization. And then it's things like, you know, cybersecurity, technological type things. How many times do we see ransomware has impacted an organization? You know, you're shut out at the EMR. You can't do any of those things. And that happens, unfortunately, much more every year. Since 2018, we have seen an ever-increasing incidence of cybersecurity crime within the healthcare industry. And so that's on the rise. And then I don't think we can overlook the natural disaster type of crises that befall us. We're all just coming off of a hurricane season here. And so we look at real examples of Superstorm Sandy and Hurricane Katrina and all those kinds of things that have, in essence, washed away not just the power and you know electricity and all those kinds of things, but critical infrastructure for providing healthcare services. So the gamut is large, and that's not meant to be you know frightening, but it is meant to be illustrative of how many things we as great leaders need to be thinking about and preparing for as we ready our organizations to be able to face whatever it is that's thrown our way. And at one point in the book, we make a, another alarming claim, and that is just that the next crisis is waiting around the corner for most organizations. And so to operate with the sense of naivety and think, nah, I don't have to worry about any type of crisis. You know, I'm insulated here in wherever I sit in California or Maine or Florida, you know, wherever it may be. The reality is that's just not going to be the case. So whether it's minor or major, whether it's environmental or financial or reputational, the, the chances are very good that you're going to have some experience in that realm, even though I wish I could wish that away for you. You know, I think it's more important to figure out how do you address that head on. Well, you, you certainly have you certainly have my vote. And um, I, I can't imagine that any of our friends in California are thinking along those lines. But look, these crises happen all, all over. Um, sometimes they're disproportionately uh, located, but certainly we all have to be worried about them. Your, the title of your, your book really connotes a team approach to addressing crises. Is that generally how healthcare systems work? Great question. So 
I will tell you that while my industry knowledge is very much focused on healthcare in recent years, the concept of team is incredibly pervasive here. And I may say it's significantly more than may exist in other industries. If you've ever been the recipient of healthcare, been a patient or have a family member who's been a patient, you'll often hear the, the phrase care team. And that I think is exactly how healthcare embodies this concept. There's not one person that's treating you or seeing you, it's really this care team that's addressing you. And the same is true when we think about crisis and how do we deal, it's within a crisis team. It really can't be one person. Now, the one thing I will tell you is that there is too big of a team to be effective. And if you've done any research about teams, they actually put a number on what is the right number for a team. And it's something like 7.8 people. So if you figure out how to have 0.8 of a person, <laughs> let me know. Um, but there is the sense of a team adds value. And if you can keep it to a manageable size, a team is a really effective way to get in a cross-section of perspectives, to get in some new ideas, et cetera. One of the things that we talk about in terms of preparation for crises is having a incident management or an incident response team developed that is cross-sectional. And so I think we all recognize and have seen the literature that supports the fact that heterogeneous teams as opposed to teams result in better decision-making. They result in faster decision-making and they result in what are decisions that yield higher stakeholder returns, whether those are true shareholders or just, you know, people invested in the process. And so what we have told our folks and what we say in the book is that it's important that you develop a team that has that cross-sectionality. So in healthcare, we think about a team looking like representatives from nursing, and physician leadership and from finance and from communications and from HR so that as decisions are being made, the experts in their respective fields can add some thoughts to that process. Does that decision make sense? What are the ramifications of the various alternatives? How do we find the one that's going to be the most positively impactful while also minimizing you know, the negative potential downstream effects that any one decision may have? So to answer your question much shorter, Mike, I would say that yes, teams are important. They're important in healthcare and they're very important in how we react ultimately to a crisis. By nature, many crises are epicritic and call for immediate response. How can healthcare organizations prepare for sudden unforeseen events? Well, I definitely didn't make this up, but I will say the best offense is a good defense in terms of how we prepare. So uh, I, I have a lot of football loyalties and I will just say that any one of those, if they're using their uh, good offense by having a good defense would be a winning season uh, bringer in my book and that would be okay with me. But in terms of healthcare, what I will say is that it is important that there is solid preparation. And that's things like I just talked about, having a team that's gonna be in place, that's ready to go. 
but it's also about having a process outlined for how do we mobilize in times of crisis? What are our communication channels? If, for example, we're locked out of some of our technology, do we have something as you know, old school as having a directory of key phone numbers? Do we have people's cell phones that we can reach out to them if we can't use our email system? You know, things like that, having a very defined process is critically important. Other aspects of the preparation that I think are important are also developing proactively good partnerships with community stakeholders. So when crisis hits, it may not just be your organization that's impacted. Think about any type of natural or environmental disaster. Often in those cases, it's a whole town that's being impacted by the tornado or the hurricane or the flooding, whatever the case may be. And in that situation, it may be that you are called upon to help others or reciprocally that, reciprocally, that you may have a need from other organizations. So part of your preparation needs to be reaching out to other people and developing those relationships proactively so that you have them in place that they've been stoked before you ever find a need for them. Do you advocate doing tabletop exercises so people can actually put some of these policies or lists into uh, to practice? Yeah, absolutely. It's like you read my mind, Mike. <laughs> I promise he doesn't have cue cards here. Uh, you can't see us, but I promise you he doesn't. Uh, yes, you've said it well. So creating low stress environments in which to practice for a crisis is critical. And that's where things like tabletop exercises come into play. There are various scenarios that can be used but just having people in a room and walking through them where the stakes aren't nearly as high as you may find them to be, again, not trying to scare you, but it may be sooner rather than later that you find yourself in this scenario. So having opportunities to practice that is incredibly important. Having documentation that you can revisit during, for example, a monthly staff meeting, you can pull out that that process, our crisis response document and say, okay, you know, today's tip of the day is if this happens, our course of action is going to be X, Y, and Z. So really creating opportunities for this to be a recurrent conversation as opposed to a scramble when we really need it is really, really important. So Amy, it, it occurs to me that there could be categories of, of crises. For, for example, IT or health information crisis may be different from a natural disaster. Are there just different types of systemic approaches to categories of crises? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the first and overarching consideration is don't panic, right? That's the same regardless of what's happening. The first step is don't panic. It's not going to do anybody any good. But once you get past that step, yeah, then yes, there are differentiated strategies based on the type of crises. And what I think is important is this concept of having an emergency operations center that has a chain of command defined so that when crisis hits, we understand who is going to be our go-to person for that. 
And it may be that your organization is small in a medical practice, let's say with 10 physicians, you may not have a depth of, you know, of resources a page long that are going to be differentiated to help you in different types of crises. In larger organizations, however, that may be the case. You know, if it's an issue with physical plant, there may be a whole team that would lead the response in that vein, as opposed to an IT team that would help if it was an HIT type of an issue. And so one of the things is just having that chain of command set up or chains of command as the case may be, and then have it be really focused within that emergency operations center. So again, when it comes into play, we know what we're supposed to be doing. We know who's going to be leading it, et cetera. And in many cases, those are different people. So having them aware, having them ready to do that is equally important. I will say back to our conversation about tabletop exercises, it's also important that we have some depth in terms of our responsiveness so if, for example, Amy Greeter is responsible for, you know, the marketing team uh, communications, if I'm not there that day, there's another Amy Greeter who's going to fall in and take over. So in addition to having an established chain of command, make sure that there are redundancies built into whatever your response is anticipated to be, whether that's your human resources, your actual people, or whether it's your PPE, as we've heard so much about the last 18 months, or you know, whatever the case may be, that we've got some of that redundancy built in as well. Amy, when, when we started this interview, you were telling me that, that part of your inspiration um, for the book came from being in the midst of, of a COVID pandemic. How's COVID impacted crisis leadership? Yeah, I will say, I think it has tested more people than would have otherwise been directly impacted by crisis. And I think in some ways, that's a positive, right? We forge our irons by fire. And so in this case, we have given more people more exposure to what frontline crises look like and allowed them to really practice their leadership skills, develop their leadership skills by their participation in remediating this crisis. So if anything that can be seen as positive comes out of it, it's that, that there has been this broader exposure to crisis and this practiced development of leadership skills in the face of it. I will also say that we have seen as a result of the COVID pandemic, and we're still seeing it today, organizations that haven't been able to be successful, to keep their doors open, et cetera. And so one of the challenges we have seen is how do you deal with really sunsetting a business unexpectedly? How do you find roles for displaced people? How do you deal with that? And again, that's its own type of human capital crises. And so unfortunately, I think that's something that we've seen more of in the last year and a half than we would have seen otherwise. And so we're seeing disproportionately more of that type of crisis, in addition to obviously the clinical crises that we're experiencing now. I had not thought about that. That's very interesting. Maybe as we as we wrap up our time together, Amy, you could tell listeners of this this podcast what readers of effective crisis leadership in healthcare can expect to gain from reading the book. 
Well, I hope that they will gain something more than a tool to put them to sleep at night. <laughs> I hope it's something that doesn't uh, put you right to bed, but rather keeps no, you th awake. This topic is not one to wall <laughs> someone to sleep. I, I think we're, we're, we're safe in that, that area. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Uh, but what I would say is that really my intent is for people to gain actionable strategies for how do they proceed. And I think that's important to me. This is not meant to be merely an academic text, but it's meant to be, as I said earlier, this type of manual that gives you the support that you need, that gives you checklists and things to you know, think about as you work your way through your own preparations, response, and then ongoing maintenance of crises. And so my hope is just that you find it to be something that's immediately useful. And I hope that you gain some context around what crisis is, and then what is your role as an individual, as a leader in an organization, as a part of a broader system, the ways that you can obviously be effective in helping remediate that crisis. So take it as something that you take a pen to and a highlighter to and figure out what you're going to do based on it the next day, because that's my fervent hope is that you take it and you use it. Well, for all our sake, I, I hope that um, that our, our listeners do do that. Um, I highly recommend uh, the book, Effective Crisis Leadership in Healthcare. My guest has been Amy Greeter, author of Effective Crisis Leadership in Healthcare. Amy, thank you so much for having been on Sound Practice. Many, many thanks. I appreciated the opportunity. I look forward to many more times. My thanks to Amy Greeter, author of the newly released Effective Crisis Leadership in healthcare. Whether faced with a financial or reputational crisis, Ms. Greeter's book will serve as a manual to help you respond timely and effectively. I recommend her book to you. I would also like to thank the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We drop a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin.